Welcome to episode one of the Peanut Butter and Jody podcast, where we discuss life, love, and the art of successful relationships. My name is Jody, and the love of my life and partner in crime, Laura, is by my side. Say hello, Laura. Hello, Laura. Well, thank you for that. <laughs> Dun, dun, dun. Oh. <laughs> no, that's fine. <laughs> so, um, this is our very first podcast. It's very exciting. Super exciting. And um, we'll talk a little bit about why we had the concept of doing a podcast in the first place. Of why you had the concept of doing a podcast in the first case. Well, it wasn't necessarily my concept. It was your concept. Not a concept, but it's actually your concept from way back. Really? Yes. Why? Because there's a time, and we, we realize this when we go, we would go to a social event or social gathering or something like that, that um, we would observe couples entering a room and they would immediately split off men to one side, women to another side. It's true. Usually the women are in the kitchen. Right. Ladies' places <laughs> in the kitchen. Let's not no. forget. Um, <gasps> but you had made that observation that mm-hmm. that had happened. And I don't like that. Right, because... Um, we... I prefer men. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I do, too. <laughs> no, uh, but we, we did recognize the fact that most of the people that we knew were either in a state of dysfunction. They would talk badly about one another, um, or they would, they would just genuinely have a, a separation um, in, in their lives. And I'm sure that those separations went much deeper than... Uh, it would appear in a social gathering. But we right. made the observation there that guys go to one side, women go to one side. And sometimes the women we talk and junk about the guys. And sometimes, um, you know, the guys are oblivious to that fact. And they're oblivious no, to the that No, the men are fact. getting drunk. Right, watching, watching sports. Yes. Um, but there, there are a lot of time there's, there's just, they're coexisting versus having a productive relationship. Okay. If that makes sense? Yeah, yeah. So you made that observation years ago. And I don't remember, so thank you for giving me credit for that. <laughs> no problem. But um, that being the case, um, it kind of popped into my head while I was listening to some podcasts recently that um, it, it would be a really good idea to talk about this kind of a thing and what makes our relationship and a couple of other relationships that we've seen successful and kind of go down the road and figure out mm-hmm. what makes them work what makes them fail, mm-hmm. and what people could do, and what kind of tools they can use um, to improve their relationships. Okay. So right. that's kind of why we thought of doing this podcast in the first place. Okay. Okay. So, you know, I think that, you know, with every relationship, especially as long as you've been married, how many years? We've been married many, many years. 24 years. 24 years. Um that you reach bumps in the road and you have to kind of try to figure out how to fix it or walk away. So obviously, tried to fix it. Yeah, I mean, everybody's going to have bumps in the road. There's going to be challenges, issues, complications that pop up in the, in the course of your daily life. And everybody has these, but um, we've experienced those bumps just as much as anybody else has. And what we realize that you need is sometimes you might need help in talking to somebody and you really need a core set of tools to be able to work through those things 
mm-hmm. communicate what the issues are effectively. Communication's a big thing. Yeah, it's the it's a, a real key to be able to communicate properly. Most people do it horrifically mm-hmm. or they don't at all. But having a core set of tools is really integral to the entire thing working. Right. Right. And and sometimes as successful a relationship as you might have, and our relationship is extraordinarily successful, um, we need tools like anybody else needs tools. Um, and as we we're talking about communicating and how key communication is, um, and people's failure to communicate leads to most of the problems. I always I'd always said that even if you're yelling at one another, at least you're still communicating. And that probably held true for part of our relationship. Mm-hmm. But there does come a point that I've realized that um, it could be extremely ineffective at the same time. Mm-hmm. So we will discuss a lot of communication and tools and things like that and, and the elements of successful relations um, through this podcast. So it's super exciting. Yeah, it is. It is. So let's talk a little bit about how you were brought up and the kind of environment that you grew up in. So take us take us back to your childhood. Um, I was adopted when I was a baby and was brought up in a very conservative Catholic upbringing. And, um, you know, they were great parents, but they were a bit much at times where I couldn't do as much as I wanted to. So, you know. Would, would you attribute that to um, the the age of your parents at the time? No. Or the fact that you were adopted? They were just, I just think they were just very protective people. Maybe because they lost babies and they kind of didn't want to lose me. But, you know, you know me. I don't go with the, uh, I don't go with the norm. <laughs> so when you were growing up, what was the mood like in your house uh, on the, at the good times? Uh, you know, typical things. We, I shouldn't say typical, but we'd play like board games together and we'd go to the park and, you know, it was difficult because I was very fat when I was little. Which little chubster. Nobody can see me, but I'm not fat anymore. <laughs> and it was hard dealing with that, you know, and, um, you know, having parents that were like, you know, ultra conservative and I'm not conservative, I'm liberal. So it's interesting how you're brought up in an environment and then you end up taking the good from it and and using it, taking the not so desirable and saying, I'm not doing that. So what would you say from a communication perspective, what things were like in the house? So when things were good, everything is flowing along, everybody's happy, right. everybody's doing their thing, maybe in a conservative way, but... Right. Everything's kind of going on. Okay. Um, you guys didn't have a whole lot of financial pressure. No. Right? Not at all. Because uh, your dad was a super hardworking guy, always employed, yep. conservative, saving tons of money. A rocket scientist. Literally a rocket scientist. Um, my mom was the housewife, taking care of everything at home. And I lived with my grandmother, who kind of interfered in everything and kind of got in the way of the two of them. And, you know, that became a problem. So, you know. So, so when things went a little off the rails in the house, mm-hmm. what were things like between your mother and your father with the third party in the middle? 
um, a lot of, I'm not talking to your father, go tell him this. Or my grandmother would side with my mother, always, and which was my mother's mother. And then my father would kind of be alone, you know, kind of fighting a battle against the two of them. And that's a, probably a pretty tough battle to win. So what was... What was what was the positioning like in the house during the tough times? So so was was dad off somewhere else? How long did that kind of thing dad go on? Dad would go in the basement and smoke because mm. at that time you could do that. Nineteen sixties, fifties, just take a pack of camels and go for it. <laughs> no, it wasn't camels. It was I forget what he smoked. Paul Malls. No, it wasn't. I can't remember. Benson and Hedges. Um, but you know it was tough. It was, you know, when you're a kid growing up with that kind of thing, it's it's really hard. But you, you, you kids pay attention to everything that happens. It's not so much what you say; it's what's being done. Mm. So it's so it's not the the talking or lack of talking or the lack of yelling, but it's the whole maybe the dynamic of the no lack of expression. Everything just shut down. Right. Mm. Which is why, as an adult, being a, a wife and a mother, that's why I say communication is the most important thing. Mm. Um, that's very interesting. Uh, I think we are very good and still learning uh, as as a couple to communicate effectively, especially okay. when things happen. Later on in life, did you find that the dynamics of your relationship and your parents' relationship with one another changed after your grandmother passed? I guess because you got that third party that's not there, but it was still, you know, there are things. Uh, yeah, I guess. I guess. Yeah. So they were a little more, maybe a little more coupley, a little more open. You didn't see too many of those shut down and walk no, out type no. of battles, Mm-mm. right? Nope. Mm. So the third party could have had a huge effect on that dynamic. Yeah. So what kind of things would you guys do as a family for fun? Well, Disney World every year. Ah. <laughs> and that will, will surely come up in these discussions <laughs> at some points. because I've been huge, going since I was like two. And it's a huge dynamic of our family to this day. Uh-huh. Because I married Goofy. Yeah. I married Minnie Mouse. No, you married no. Maleficent. Get oh, it right. All right. Um, so... Um, as they aged and your grandmother had passed away, um, the dynamics changed a little bit. There was probably, probably a little more coupling kind of behavior. I mm-hmm. don't recall seeing any knockdown drag outs or, or no. shut dad out for long periods of time. No, Mm-mm. Mm. no, none of that. So having an environment where there was one partial third party in the middle, yeah. Probably led to a little bit of grief. I'm um, sure. It's kind of like any situation where you have three people in a house and there's always one that has to go, okay, which side do I pick? Unless you're a peacemaker. And then you can kind of try to, you know, smooth it out. Right. The role, the role of peacemaker could be a critical component in... Well, that kind of a dynamic. Absolutely. Right. And That's it, kind of be... my role in the family here. Yeah. I am the peacemaker. And I, I can be a, a... You are the pissmaker. Yeah, I'm the pissmaker. I'm, I'm a bit of a burden occasionally. A bit of a bleep. Well, you can say it here if you'd like. <laughs> um, very interesting. So, 
But your upbringing, you took the good, you took the bad. It's probably why I had imaginary friends, too, when I was growing up. Okay. <laughs> That's for another topic. No, but there's it may, be, it may have been a coping mechanism for it you. It probably was. To try to... Because try to... my sister was so much older than me, too. Mm. And, you know, you're dealing with pretty much... I was always kind of a loner, too. So if I have imaginary friends, I can control the situation. Ah, uh, that makes that makes sense. Right? Yep. Yeah, because you at least you have a sounding board for what you're feeling and what you're thinking. Uh-huh. That's very interesting. So, um, a little bit about my upbringing. Okay. I was Catholic. You were? Jewish. Okay. And I'm, I will proclaim to be Jewish by food. I was not raised in any way with uh, the Jewish religion. In fact, we had a Christmas tree. I looked a lot like the Charlie Brown Christmas tree. It was uh, bare and had had some sticks, and uh, we had little bubbly lights on the Christmas tree, uh, which were probably a huge fire hazard of some sort. That's a horrible thing, too. Every year you have to get a mail and see if the lights are working individually on it, and you're like... Yeah, and I, I would never really find out which one. It's usually trial by ex- electrocution. Or, or trial by my father cursing. That's a good way to think about it. Um, but I grew up in, uh, not in a broken home. Okay, so mm-hmm. there was no dad in the picture. For a while, uh, it was my mother, myself, and my sister, who's four years older than me. And uh, we moved around a bit uh, as a kid. So I moved uh, from one small town in New Jersey to a worse small town in New Jersey. So there were three of us in a two-bedroom apartment. Dad, I do not recall seeing him, uh, my Earliest recollection of actually being with my father was probably not till I was uh, past the age of 10. So I'm sure I had seen him occasionally, but none that I can recall. And I don't really block things out so much. Okay. So um, he was pretty much out of the picture. So you are raised by, with, three women. Three women. So it was my mother, my sister. And the cat was neutered, so. He he was pretty much a girl, too. Um, So it's, uh, yeah, it was... uh, my mother, my grandmother, who was my mother's mother, and my sister. And the interesting thing about that dynamic was, for me growing up, is that um, there there was very um, opposing of men. Mm-hmm. So my mother's broken relationship inherently led to um, a broken relationship with me and her. She couldn't relate to me. And I also happen to have a lot of the, the same features as my father yeah, so and the man Yeah, so you're that physical the reminder of, your fa- of the, the man that left her. Correct. So Which I, I can't understand why. Yeah, I don't know. I'm an, Adon- I'm an Adonis among <laughs> no, them. No, I don't know why she left her. <laughs> or why he left her? <laughs> yeah. uh, um, well, that's we'll get a little into that a little bit, too. Um, <clears throat> so, so living with my mother... And then eventually my grandmother moved in with us and we moved to yet another town. Okay. That was um, challenging. We were in a home, we were in a single family home now instead of apartments. We were jumping from apartment to apartment when I was little. Um, But moving into that that house gave me some degree of feeling like a normal kid. Okay. That's all that I knew. So I guess in my brain that that was normal. Mm Mm-hmm. But... It was really uh, not an optimal situation because my grandmother um, was a very angry woman. Mm-hmm. 
um, why I'm not 100% sure to this day. Um, but she was very, very cold. Mm-hmm. And my sister was, you know, growing up as a teenager in the 70s. So she was off doing what teenagers in the 70s did, you know, which um, I can't even imagine what that was. But growing, oh, I can. <laughs> but for me, growing up in that time period, I uh, was very alone. Um, Aww. That's so sad. Um, but kind of like you, I kind of looked at the situation that I was thrust into and I took uh, the good and the bad of it mm-hmm. and learned from that. Yep. Try not to to reproduce the things that hurt me mm-hmm. and uh, try to take the very few elements that were positive and carry those along with me as well. Um, and and also uh, dealing with my mother uh, as as a young person, she was very unstable. <laughs> okay, that's that's putting it lightly so and she liked cheese she loved cheese um but she was unstable to the point that i recall um one night um i can't recall exactly how old i was i was probably about 10 or so that was like five years ago yeah it was i sound much older than i really do i was born on a leap year don't you know (laughs) (laughs) so but i do recall one night um, in my mother's car, driving across the Driscoll Bridge in New Jersey, which has very low rails. And she, me and my sister were in the back, and she's swerving back and forth on this bridge, saying she's going to kill us and drive us off. That's crazy. Okay. So that's the kind of person I was dealing with. We would see outbursts like that, major bouts of depression, her laying in bed for you know days, a week at a time. Um, that was normal growing up. So, but I was very isolated uh, at that time. But you know, for me, I kind of turned to um, arts and the few friends that I had. So I was really into music, guitar. Yeah, I was into guitar and a lot guitar. of guitar, lots of other things. Um, always very clean kid. I was never drawn to doing really bad stuff. I didn't know what you meant by clean. I thought you meant like you showered. I don't know what that I, meant. Regularly, I, every other Tuesday. <laughs> Um, but you know, I definitely wasn't, you know, I knew that I I wasn't gonna, you know, do really bad stuff. You mean like take any kind of a substance? Well, substances, drugs, stealing. I've been in situations where I've had friends who were were stealing. Oh, you stole my heart. Oh, so sweet. Who knew the thief Mm. of love? (laughs) Um, are you on Game of Thrones? (laughs) The faces. Um, the man of many faces. (laughs) Uh, but that's kind of how I came up, which is a lot different than you having a nuclear family. Um, or as George Bush would have said. Nu- nuclear. Okay. Nuclear family. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we kind of came from different sides of things. You you came from South Jersey. I was from, you know, Central to North Jersey where things were, you know, it was a, it, there was a lot more people, mm-hmm. uh, more aggressive environment overall. Yeah. Um, and then we kind of came together. Mm-hmm. So we can talk about that too. So let's talk a little bit about how we met. Okay. So around uh, October of 1990 or so, mm-hmm. um, my good friend Tom, his fiance Anne, had asked me to be the opening night Santa yep. at Santa and Me. Mm-hmm. Which um, 
She asked me because I'm the happiest jolly fellow she knew. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, I accepted for this one night only. So I'll fast forward to some point in November mm-hmm. when opening night was about to happen. So I go into the mall and they pull me in with real reindeer. It was a big thing. Yeah. thousand or so people were there to see me. It's like a mob. It was a mob. And um, a really, really nice event. And they um, pull me in. And I'm sitting there dealing with these kids all night, which I, I thoroughly enjoyed. And standing in front of me the entire time was my elf, Laura. Santa's helper. Santa's helper, it's Laura. It's very offensive. Nah, okay. Elf Would you Santa's call Peter Dinklage an elf? I'm, no. That's a good point. Okay. He would probably beat me into oblivion. He'd a be an angry elf. Angry elf. Um, so uh, you were standing as my assistant the entire night. Mm-hmm. Right. And... Uh, so, a couple of weeks later, apparently there was an article published in one of the local papers, and there was a picture of me, and uh, I had agreed to come back and work again. So, we had only worked one time. One time only. And which, you didn't say which mall it was. Princeton Market Fair Mall. In New Jersey. So, we worked the one night, and um, I come back to work on subsequent Saturdays. Mm-hmm. And then you had come in to bring me... The article that had me in it. Yep. So the day you brought that article to me, we sat there and uh, spoke, you know, for the majority of that day. We weren't working together. Nope. And we had a great conversation. Yep. And as uh, I had to escort you back to the room where Santa gets changed and he had a knot in his pants that I had to get out. Conveniently, I had a knot in my pants. That was, yes, not where I wanted to be. So... But she gladly um, assisted Santa in unknotting his pants. Because it's part of the contract. It's not part of the contract. It was. It's that you have to help Santa with everything. Including unknotting the pants underneath his egregiously large belly. His jelly. His belly. (laughs) His jelly and his belly. So you you lovingly unknotted my pants. I think I learned that in Girl Scouts. Girl Scouts. Boy Scouts learn to tie knots. <laughs> Girl Scouts learn to untie knots. And you thought it was all about the cookies. It's not about the cookies, America. <laughs> Boy Scouts of America and Girl Scouts of America are tying and untying pants. Congratulations, America. So... Um, <gasps> We had a, a really great conversation, and it led to Well, after me. I untied the knot, we It was had... a better conversation. <laughs> <laughs> the conversation got uncomfortable. <laughs> Santa's blush marks became true blush marks. The embarrassment of his pants hitting oh the God. deck in front of the pretty s- lady. I was sweating. It was awful. I was sweating, too, just because I was bloated. <laughs> <laughs> so... We had a really great conversation, and uh, next thing you know, I had asked you out on a date. Uh-huh. Uh, so December 8th, 1990, yep. we had our very first date, mm-hmm. and uh, we went to TGI Fridays. And I was nervous, and my hands were shaking. Her hands were shaking. I tried to kind of ease the tension by reaching out and holding her hand and giving her a loving kiss. You know, you think about it. Why said would I, hand. Why would I be nervous if I just unknotted your pants like why would eating 
be nervous after a nodding pants of a strange guy I don't even know. It depends because the process of eating, I believe you were eating a manicotti that day. And I don't I don't know what I was eating. It was probably some sloppy burger of some sort, but she's eating manicotti and the overwhelming fear of dropping the pasta sauce onto her beautiful little jacket was overwhelming and made her completely nervous. So we um, we had a really great lunch. Yes, we did. And uh, we've been together ever since. Yeah, yeah. So we fast forward to modern day today, and uh, we've gone through... Uh, we've gone through, we have... Many, many years of... <laughs> no, I was going to say we have three kids. I was going to say we've gone through three kids, like no, they're toys. Yeah, we just rammed, rammed right through three kids and called it a day. On to more kids. Um... But what we do have three kids. We have a 22-year-old, we have an 18-year-old, and yep. we have a 13-year-old. Yep. And we just inherited a, uh, a fantastic another. son-in-law. Yes, the peacemaker. The peacemaker. He's been deemed the peacemaker. He has. He's taken over my role while I'm not in Florida. And if peace doesn't work, he can just choke him out. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we, we um, do have a fantastic son-in-law, and we do have a fantastic little family. So... As we get into subsequent podcasts mm-hmm. and, and other things like that, um, we'll talk about our journey. We'll talk about the things that have have made us successful despite bumps and challenges in the road. Some external challenges, mm-hmm. challenges um, that come up in life, whether they're work challenges, social challenges, financial challenges, all mm. those things. Uh, somehow we manage to, um, to get through them. I'll tell you one thing that helps. Mm-hmm. Laughter. Laughter and egregious amounts of alcohol. Yes, exactly. And you know what? I, I think shows have a lot to do with helping, too. In what respect? Like Game of Thrones. I, I, I know how to actually kill an individual now. I, I got that from the Ultimate Fighting Championship. I'm the king of the rear naked choke. I can rear naked choke and triangle choke about anybody. Come at me. Is that a... That's for another time. That's for another story and another podcast. (laughs) So we'll wrap this up by uh, thanking you for listening to our Mm -hmm. very first podcast. And we look forward to engaging in many, many more podcasts and exploring what has made our relationship a fantastic and glowing success. Mm -hmm. So we will see you soon. Bye. Bye.